Hi, everyone. Well, Christmas is uh, just around the corner. Uh, so why don't we take some time to uh, say Merry Christmas to one another. Um, you know, you don't have to travel too far if you are um, not near anybody, you know, in particular. But let's take some time to uh, just bless each other by saying Merry Christmas. Christmas indeed. Um, it's hard to believe that it's uh, year end almost and uh, Christmas is next week. Uh, we will celebrate Christmas this year uh, uh, at our regular Sunday service since uh, this year the Sunday falls on the Christmas Eve. So uh, if you're here, I'd love to uh, celebrate Christmas with you all. Uh, but if you're traveling the next few weeks, I know quite a few are. Um, and I pray and hope that you have safe travels uh, during this time and that you have meaningful time uh, with your families and friends, and especially a meaningful Christmas, you know, wherever uh, you might be, uh, you know, celebrating it this year. Uh, anybody new? Okay. Because I don't want to say my name and, you know, feel stupid. <laughs> So, uh, okay, if you're new, I'm sorry, but I don't think anybody's new, so let's move on. Um, well, it is still Advent season, um, you know, having one more week left till Christmas Eve. Um, and as, as you all know, we've been uh, preparing our hearts for Christmas through various passages, and today we'll continue on uh, in the Gospel of Luke in anticipation uh, for the birth of the Messiah, the God incarnate, Jesus Christ. So let me read for us uh, today's passage, which is found in Luke 1, uh, 39 through 56. Luke 1, 39, 56 through 56. And I'll read it for us, and I'll, uh, we'll go right into our time together of the message. Again, Luke 139 through 56. This is God's word. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to, the, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, 
and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. That is God's word. Uh, three points for us, um, as usual. Those are praising Jesus in all. Second, praising Jesus in humility. Third, praising Jesus um, in faith. And the title for this message is The Praise of Christmas. First, praising Jesus in all. Verses 39 through 40 says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Here's the setting uh, of the story. Uh, this is really a continuation from last week's passage. If you remember from the previous passage, there the angel Gabriel came to Mary and announced to her that she would have a child even though she's a virgin. There Gabriel brought up her relative Elizabeth and, um, and her miraculous pregnancy of John the Baptist uh, in her old age as a proof that God can indeed conceive a child in a virgin's womb. So today's passage is again continuation from that, and Mary we see uh, her hurrying to Elizabeth as if to confirm Gabriel's message to see if it is really true that Elizabeth has uh, been become pregnant in her old age. But now Mary is about to encounter something extraordinary, as we are about to see. So look with me to verses 41 through 44. It says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the womb of, uh, fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Here's a scene. I think it's important that we uh, feel the sentiment of this scene, which is that of awe. Elizabeth and John the Baptist in her womb are meeting Jesus in Mary's womb. And there are some you know, crucial elements uh, in this scene. Let me point out two of them. One, John the Baptist is leaping for joy. 
in Elizabeth's room. Elizabeth's womb. And that's interesting because the calling of John the Baptist and his ministry throughout the Gospels is that of announcing and preparing people for the arrival of Jesus. So here we see that even as a fetus in his mother's womb, John is being faithful to his calling. He's jumping for joy at the sighting of the Messiah in Mary's womb. And it's as if he is saying to his mother, Elizabeth, Mother, do you know who you are standing in front of? This is the one. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he's the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The whole history has been pointing towards this man. He is filled with joy as he's doing this. And at the same time, Elizabeth is also filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is, she's exclaiming on top of her lung that the baby is indeed someone praiseworthy. And she's calling, you know, Mary, notice, the mother of my Lord. He's, she's, she's acknowledging that the baby is her master, her king, even God himself. Because later on in our passage, the word Lord refers to God. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the name of God, Yahweh, is consistently translated as the Lord, in all caps especially in our Old Testament. What's happening in front of us in this passage is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, both John and Elizabeth are made aware of the identity of the baby in Mary's womb, and they cannot help but being lost in exuberant worship because Jesus, who is to come on Christmas Day, is the Lord. And he deserves our worship and exaltation. For the next slide, uh, I've shared this story before, but this is a singer named uh, David Crowder, a Christian uh, singer, 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 songwriter. I don't know why this is hard to pronounce. Um, so I'm not much of a fan, per se, of David Crowder, uh, but I was introduced to his songs in my high school days, and I definitely enjoyed his music. I don't know how many of you uh, like his music, but it's you know, enjoyable and good. Uh, but then at some point in my high school years, uh, me and my friends got to go to a Christian rock concert. Uh, and when David Crowder got on stage, I got to be very close to the stage. If you go through the next three photos, uh, they are there to prove that I was really close to the stage. And uh, the orange numbers and letters on the, the lower right corner, I don't know if you guys know what that is, but that's to show that I took it. I took the photos 
with my digital camera at the time. This was before iPhone came out. Okay, it's very ancient photos, but I took them. I was there, I was close. And it was really surreal uh, seeing David Crowder, you know, that up close. You know, I was like, man, you got some crazy goatee going on. But this is so cool. You know, I got to see a celebrity, you know, this up close. I was really excited. And while he was singing and, you know, the, the concert was going on, I, I, I went nuts. And I was screaming and I was jumping up and down. You got to imagine this in, in your head. You know, a six foot four guy doing all these things in front of everybody up close to the stage. And I could tell people around me were getting really annoyed, especially the person standing behind me. But I didn't care. I was so excited. But I, I got to the point where in between songs, even David Crowder noticed me. And he literally paused at some point while I was talking. He looked you know, straight at me. And, and he just like gave me a really weird look. Uh, as to say, you know, man, this guy's crazy. But I didn't care. I just went just nuts because I was so uh, exhilarated that I was like only three feet know, from a celebrity. I was lost in excitement and thrill. John the Baptist and Elizabeth are having a similar experience, except that, of course, they're very up close to the Lord of the universe. Just imagine you know, how hard their hearts must be beating at the time. Just imagine, you know, how, what kind of feelings they were feeling at the time. We could perhaps describe it as euphoria. While at the same time, they must have been made aware of their sinful creatureliness before the Holy Creator. I think this whole scene and what's happening here is a good reminder that you know, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, our heart's attitude should also be that of humble and joyful worship. But unfortunately, perhaps in our daily lives, as we approach Christmas, um, this season may not be generating much worship in some of us. There could be some several reasons. One, it could be because of all the commercialism around us uh, kind of distracting us from focusing on Christ. Or it could be because, you know, Jesus came in weakness. He doesn't seem that impressive. He's a feeble baby on Christmas. Maybe resurrection, Easter, maybe, yeah. But Christmas, a weak baby. And this weakness of the Messiah may not appeal to our power-hungry Prideful heart, all that much. And lastly, it could be also because our hearts may become calloused. And we do not respond properly to the beauties around us because we are so numb for whatever reason in our lives. And we cannot respond properly to the wonder and awesomeness of the infinite Son of God.
whatever our state of heart is right now, Christmas is a great opportunity for us to rediscover who Jesus is and cultivate the attitude of humble worship and joy. Just as one Christmas hymn says, Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. This is for worship. Praising Jesus in awe. Second, praising Jesus in humility. We're about to see that along with John the Baptist and Elizabeth, Mary also is in awe and she's worshiping God. So we see verses 46 through 49. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Here Mary is amazed, and that amazement is being spilled onto worship because she realizes that God has chosen her to bear the Messiah. You know, as we see later in the Gospels, you know, Mary is a poor, a hopeless, helpless peasant girl to the point that she can't even afford presentable sacrifices at temple. We see that later. She's a nobody, and she knows that. But beyond her socioeconomic status, you know, she realizes that she's a sinner, just like everybody else. So she calls God her Savior because she needs salvation from her sins. And yet, she realizes that he, God, in his sheer grace, he handpicked her among all women to have the privilege of bearing the Messiah in her womb. Meaning she gets to be a part of God's salvation history. She gets to play a part, even though she's coming from a humble origin. So she's praising God out of gratitude for elevating her out of her destitute status. But in her praise, we also notice something opposite, meaning God not only brings up those who are lowly, but he also brings down some people. So we look at verses 51 through 53. It says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Hmm. Uh, first, notice that these sentences are describing things that happened in the past. That's interesting because you know, this is the beginning of the book of Luke. Nothing has happened yet. And, and the baby hasn't even been born. So it's best to see these sentences as Mary's 
prophecy into the future, which to God, who is beyond time, these things have already happened. And in this prophecy, then, you know, we got to see what will happen in the ministry of Jesus. Follow with me. What I mean by that is, indeed, in his ministry that, that we've looked at in the book of Mark, the proud people like Roman governors, soldiers, Pharisees, you know, religious leaders, and the rich, they all get rejected by Jesus from the kingdom of God, even though they're you know, cool, awesome people in the world, and they themselves reject Jesus. In contrast, Jesus will seek after the outcast and the, the helpless people like the prostitutes, tax collectors, fishermen, and sick people, and he will elevate them to the status of the sons and daughters of God by forgiving their sins. And Mary fits right into this category. So what's happening here is that there's a great reversal of fortunes because of the gospel. The, those who are honored and recognized and acknowledged in the world, are, they are being dishonored and humbled, whereas those who are dishonored and ignored in the world are being honored. And verse 50 captures all this well. Luke says, And his mercy is for those who fear him, from generation to generation. Meaning, regardless of their worldly status, God honors and has mercy on those who reverently fear God and humbly receive Him in faith. And this is what it means then, why those who are destitute are elevated and the opposite happens to the rich. Meaning, Fearing God and receiving Him in humility and faith is easier if you have low status in the world and already are aware of your shortcomings. And you know you need a Savior because you have no power to save yourself. You have no power to elevate yourself in the world. So you are hungry for salvation. Whereas, this is harder if you already have high status in the, is in the world. Meaning, you already have a lot going on in your life. You have a lot of things you can rely on for security, whether it's money, power, position. And you like to be your own savior. You rely on your own strength and accomplishments to justify yourselves before others and God. So God is calling those who are the poor, not necessarily those who don't have money, but those who acknowledge that they are in need, not those who say, I got it all. I don't need a savior, but those who are humble, acknowledging their need. And we see the heart of that in 1 Corinthians 1, 
27 through 31. Listen to what Paul says here. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Is God your Savior or are you? Uh, I have a friend from my high school days who, who's got it all. Uh, his father uh, owns a thriving international trading business. Uh, so my friend had his own credit card that had no limit on it. And maybe some of you had it, I don't know. But he literally had this like gold card in his wallet in his high school days. And also, he was driving these fancy cars, uh, you name it, you know, BMW, uh, Infinity, all of that, he had those with nice clothes. And last of all, but not least, he was good looking, too. So he was really popular among girls, and as far as I remember, he always had a girlfriend for different seasons. So now, that was high school days. And him and I were close friends. I mean, you know, we talked a lot. And we kept in touch, you know, for all those years. Um, you know, even though he left for Europe, uh, attending school there. Uh, but he kept calling me because he could afford international calls. Um, so he called me time to time. And um, we talked for hours at times. And he would tell me, uh, how empty and dissatisfying his life was. And I, I was literally thinking at that time, I'm like, are you kidding me? You got it all. Like, why are you so not happy? This doesn't make sense. But there he was, you know, constantly sharing about his pain and agony. But then one day, he called. And he told me that he was in Hawaii. And he said that he decided to leave everything and join a Christian camp there for a year. And he said that he felt freedom and happiness for the first time in his life. It's ironic, isn't it? He's got a life that everybody, you know, envies. But there he was. He had all the things that are good going on in his life. He did not seek Jesus. The question is, why would he, right? You know, he had many things to rely on for his sense of security. But when he was humbled by 
you know, sense of dissatisfaction and emptiness in his life, you know, he was then able to see the need for a savior. He was able to see that he cannot rely on those things anymore for satisfaction. So my question for us is this, in light of his example and the examples that Luke gives here, question is, in the current season of your life, what do you tend to turn to for a sense of security? Another way of putting that is, what do you turn to first when a problem arises in your life? Would it be your own intelligence and wisdom? Would it be how much money I have stored up in my bank account? Would it be what people say about me? Or would it be how high I go up in the path that I have planned for myself? But could I tell you, my friends, whatever those things are, those things are all bubbles that cannot sustain us now and also onto eternity. And God, in his love, can humble us at any time by popping those bubbles. So that, just like what happened to my friend, we can see how pitiful and naked we really are, who are desperately in need of a savior. We need a rock in our lives. We don't need more bubbles. We need solid rock that can satisfy the deep longings of our lives, and that is Christ Jesus. So the humble are elevated, the prideful are demoted in the economy of God. So may you turn to Jesus in humility. Lastly, praising Jesus in faith. So far, you know, we're being urged to you know, humbly desire Jesus as our Savior and that we are to worship and exalt Christ as Lord. But to be really honest, it's hard, right? How can you leave and forsake all the earthly things that you bank on? Like out of nowhere. How can you do that? Unless you are convinced in your heart that Jesus really will deliver you and give you the promises that he has for you. And I believe Mary is turning to that concern. So look with me, these two verses at the end. She says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Here Mary is saying that God has sent Jesus, the Messiah, to rescue Israel because he remembered his mercy to Abraham and his descendants. There, the Greek word translated mercy uh, is normally used to translate the Hebrew word chesed. The word chesed, of course, 
is God's steadfast love towards his people, God's loyal love uh, in the context of his covenant with them. So we look at Deuteronomy 7, 9, where it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So Mary is saying, therefore, that the sending of Jesus on Christmas Day is a sign that God is faithful to what he has promised to Abraham and his descendants in his covenant with them. Let me show you what the covenant was. Genesis 12, 3, uh, God is talking to Abraham. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the, the earth shall be blessed. Because of the promise in the covenant, God is um, keeping Israel. God is rescuing Israel from all her enemies. What this means is God, our God, is a faithful God who, no matter what, keeps his promises. You can bank on him when he makes promises to you. He will keep them, no matter what the cost, because we know he even sent his son to die on the cross for us to keep the promises for us. He will do that. And Christmas, therefore, is an evidence that God does and will keep his promises to us. And here's the thing. We saw in Galatians, uh, when we were going through the book, that by faith in Jesus, we become part of Abraham's family. Remember? That we are in his spiritual lineage. And therefore, we are the recipients of all the promises that God made to Abraham. That's a glorious thing. He will never fail us. He will always rescue us. He will always preserve us and keep us in his arms. And if you trust that, you can then throw your life to Jesus in worship and independence, and your hearts will come alive because you trust that he will have your back. He will bring you to heaven securely. There's a game, um, as, as we all know, it, I think for team bonding games, um, there's a game where you stand in front of another person with your back towards that person, and, and you are to fall backwards, right? Um, trusting that he or she will catch you. Uh, just to make the game a little more fun here, let's say that this game is happening at the edge of a cliff. So if, you, if that other person doesn't catch you, you die, right? And in order for you to be able to throw yourself onto that person behind you, you really have to study that person, right? Uh, you first have to get to know uh, if the person is strong enough. He, has to be, he or she has to be uh, maybe bigger than you or at least strong to catch you well. Um, but more importantly, it's important that you get to know that person on a personal level. 
that, that you really have the experiences with that person where you can look back and say, oh, he or she will get my back. And he or she will not fail me. I can't just fall. I trust that person. And that's why, of course, it's the easiest and safest when the person is one of your family members. Or not, I don't know. I don't know how much you trust your family members, but you know what I mean. The personal relationship is very important in trusting that person. It's like that uh, when it comes to putting your faith in Christ. Because uh, just like playing that game at the end of the clip, uh, putting your faith in Christ is a matter of life and death, spiritually. When we stand before the throne of God, it will decide our fate. So rightly so then, you really have to examine Christ, won't you? Can you really bank on him? Can you really throw yourself onto him? You have to know him. And that takes, of course, you know, taking the Bible seriously, Bible knowledge seriously, you know, uh, like know what the Bible says about Christ. But beyond that, beyond the head knowledge, there has to be relationship where we really know him, that we can, you know, entrust our life into his hands. If we don't, we cannot really fall. We cannot really worship him as our Lord. But if we really know him, our faith in him will grow. And our worship will get even sweeter. And we can join with Mary, Elizabeth, and John the Baptist in desiring and worshiping Jesus with more joy. But when I thought about that, I came down to earth, trying to apply that to our lives. Basically, believing Jesus more by knowing Jesus more. That's the point. But I thought about how difficult that might be for some of us. Because if you think about it, aren't we all trained to distrust people more in our lives? Some of us may have experienced failures from our parents. Some of us may have experienced betrayals from our close friends. And as we grow older, our hearts can get even more callous, thinking, I cannot trust anybody. I cannot really rely on anybody. I have to be my own self and be self-sufficient. And that's the ethos of America, isn't it? If that's the precondition of our hearts, the question is, how can we really trust God? Think about it. How can our faith ever grow? How can we really throw, our, throw ourselves onto Christ in faith? There, I want to insert hope. And that's how I want to end this message. The hope is this. Think back to Elizabeth. She exclaimed in great faith and exuberation that Christ is the Lord. But how did she do that? She was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was not her somehow conjuring up emotion. 
It was the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled her to worship Jesus with the truth about him. And the, the truth of the matter is that the same Spirit, if you're a believer in Christ, are in you. The same Holy Spirit can fill you up and say the same thing with the same heart and spirit, saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. I trust you 100%. And that is the most encouraging news if you have been on this journey for Christ because I don't know about you, at least back then when I, when I uh, drank coffee, my mood was always dependent on coffee. <laughs> I, I love Jesus when I'm awake. Oh, espresso, awesome. But when it wears down, I don't know. I don't even, I cannot even stand on my feet pursuing Jesus. We're all feeble people. How can we grow in our faith? It's only if we rely on the Holy Spirit in faith. We trust the Holy Spirit is with us in our bad days and good days to the point that here's what I do. Every single day, I literally cry out in my shower especially. Um, that was TMI. But Jesus, I do not desire you right now. Could you Tell me to love you more. I think some of you feel that way too, right? You have the desire, you have the goal to love Jesus more. But how do I get there? Unless we rely on the Holy Spirit for the prayer. So this Christmas, as we approach the birth of the Messiah, and expect many blessings. Let us go to God in the Holy Spirit as we are. Because God wants us as we are. And I love seeing everybody here right now. And I think this room is represented, uh, represented by many different journeys. Uh, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, God is welcoming you to come as you are relying on the Holy Spirit. And let us do just that. Let's pray.